All right, cool. Can you start us off with a word of prayer? Yes. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is powerful, which is pure, which is true. Thank you, Father, that uh, you have revealed it to us uh, yourself by delivering it uh, to us through your spirit. Thank you that we can hold your word in our hands, and as you have commanded us, we can hide it in our heart. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have commanded us to trust in your word. Thank you for both the written word and most assuredly the living word, our Savior, the Lord Christ. Help us, Father, then to not only follow the truth, not only to know the truth, but, Father, on this podcast, help us to speak of only the truth. May the bulk of what we say and the way in which we say it be centered around your living word, for you are worthy. Bless us now for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. That never gets old. I love saying that, and I love doing this podcast, uh, not just because of the fact that I get to record all of my therapy sessions with <laughs> with my pastor, but also for the purpose of you all. I've been getting a lot of uh, amazing and great encouraging feedback from from folks. So thank you very much. To be honest with you, even if I didn't get any feedback, I'd still do this. So, but it's 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 always sweet to know that I am doing something for uh, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, that encourages me. And uh, with me uh, to do that is the pastor of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing uh, wonderful, but let me clarify: I'm not a therapist. You're not a therapist. Never. No. Well, you I'm, know, I'm 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 a f- I'm a discipler. There you go. Yeah, yeah. You're being discipled. Yeah, There's well, no therapy here. Did I say therapy sessions? Yes. I did. I <laughs> yeah. said that. Yes. I'm just. Look it's okay. It's Look all right. I, yeah. It, the the world is is taking my brain over and, right. and said, hey, no, it's no. You, That's you, why you, we're here. You're definitely. Yeah. This is why we're here. I, and and for clarification, he does not have a couch at his office. Nope, There's nope. no couches. There's there's nope. chairs. We sit upright, and uh, and it's not. You're right. It's well, actually. It's therapeutic. How about that? It's it's a it's a healing balm because all you're doing is taking the word and it's just giving it to and me. So and the word heals. Yeah, there you go. It's yeah. it's therapeutic. The truth will set you free. There it is. There it is. Yeah. See, yeah. yeah, we're on the same page now. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, unfortunately, you haven't given me any questions to ask from the past two sermons that we've had. So sorry, I'm, I apologize. Yeah, uh, we have a lot. <laughs> a if you, lot. If you can't get questions out of the current series you're in trouble yeah you yeah you 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 aren't paying attention and i and i say that i say that wholeheartedly that there are so many things so many questions that i have i honestly don't know okay i'm gonna start here i'm gonna start with the sermon that you did what was it what was the date on that day which one which sermon uh not yeah that one the widow's might that would have been 14th maybe yeah. 14th? Yeah, I think it was 14th or the 23rd. Yeah. So, I, that is that was the 20 the 21st. 21st. The 21st, yeah. yeah. Um and the question that you left us all with the cliffhanger uh was was this sermon about giving? Oh yeah. And or about taking. Uh, you, okay, so, so now you're adding to the question. No, that's what I said. <laughs> 
Is that what you said? Yeah. So okay. I asked the question: Is this text, Mark twelve forty one to forty four, is this text about <clears throat> sacrificial giving, or is it about ministerial taking? Hmm. That's the question that really the text demands. You have to because, uh, and I ask that because most people read that and take that text and preach it. That text that it's all about giving, sacrificial giving, that that widow and the widow's might is an example to follow. That's the whole point of the passage. Not an application, but the point of the passage, they say, is she is an example of a Christian or should be an example for Christians to follow. So thus, the text is all about, look at this woman, she gave everything. Mm -hmm. So is it about that, or is it about, look at these scribes, they have taken everything from her? It's almost like sleight of hand. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if, like, I would say that there are some preachers, and I say preachers very loosely, yeah. that look at this scripture and they will just use it for the purpose of oh, absolutely. getting that, you know, just teaching that and getting that out. Because I don't know how many times, how many times, like, I've heard this this specific sermon preached many, many times or referenced, you know, more times than, you know, thousands of times more than that. And it's always about you giving and looking at the widow and using the widow as an example. Yeah. And of course I come from the uh, word of faith, name and acclaim it, you know, society that always gives you uh, the, the opportunity yes. to give. Oh, yeah. And uh, you, you, <laughs> you said it nicely. Yeah, the opportunity <laughs> to give. And, you know, we're going to do a, a part of the service that everybody can participate in, yeah. and it's the offering. And there have been times where I'm, we're sitting in a service, the deacons take the money back to collect, you know, collect the money, take it back. They go and count it, and they say, all right, we're about $200 short because we need to uh, give the man of God a gift. And they don't say man, they say manned of God. That is how it is explained to us. I am literally just repeating anything, everything that I've heard. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is what I believe, but that has happened. I, and when I say hundreds of times in my life, I'm not exaggerating. I, I was in church all the time. I was a church boy. I'd be at the service on Sunday morning. Then I'd be at the service Sunday afternoon and then Sunday evening, you know, and, and, and it, it was, I would, you know, I was a musician. So I would go and play, uh, for the pastors, you know, when I was in college, when I was here, like it was an ongoing thing and they would literally count the money and come back and do that. Other services I would be in, it would say, well, you know, um, we, I, I, I have, I need five people to sow a seed of a thousand dollars right now. And you know, you would have people walk up. I've seen it in services where they'd have people just throw money on the stage, just come up, walk up while the pastor say it loosely, the speaker is, is, is speaking, just go up and just throw money on the stage. Mm-hmm. They're, their mindset behind it is, you know, I'm sowing a seed into mm-hmm. this ministry, into that person, mm-hmm. and I'm going to reap the benefit because the widow, she gave her last penny that she had. Yep. And if you will do that same thing, if you have enough faith. Yeah. Now, if you can't pay your rent, 
I'm sorry. I said can't. If you cannot pay your rent, sorry, that's, that's a little PG County for you. If you cannot pay your rent, then that means that you did not have enough faith that God was going to supply for you. Mm. When you started to preach this the way that you did and you, you put those questions out there, what that did for me is completely turn my thinking upside down mm-hmm. because what I was doing personally, what I was doing, and I'm confessing this, I was looking at the people in the scripture versus the author of the scripture. And it was, it's, it, it hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it hurt mm-hmm. because I'm sitting there looking at, like, yeah, you know, she should be an example for us. And I'm like, no, how does that glorify God mm-hmm. that she's giving her last little bit, who is it glorifying? Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's my two cents, yeah. and and that's and that's me, uh, you know, bringing bringing my my uh, I say my wounds from <laughs> <laughs> from from years and years of yeah. of church, and just kind of like here it is. Yeah, you know? it's sad. You and you and countless many others have so many wounds from handling the word wrongly mm-hmm. it really it it saddens me and scares me all at the same time because obviously i can do the same thing and i don't want to do that but i think as you rightfully divide this passage in its context and that's a key that's a key understanding hard to make it at about giving mm-hmm. meaning it's hard to see that that's the that's mark's purpose and by ultimate author god's purpose in this passage making that woman who we know nothing about mm-hmm. we know nothing about her we know you know so many times it's it, you know and obviously some guys i think are sincere in what they're saying and even preaching it and as i said in the sermon i'll say again now a lot of times not in your not in the context of the prosperity word of faith mm-hmm. that you're talking of but in a in an evangelical church that's known for orthodox theology what a pastor will say while he's preaching this passage isn't necessarily wrong. Some of it, no doubt, is, but most of it by way of the giving principles, mm-hmm. like sacrificial giving mm-hmm. and, and giving as unto the Lord and all these things that they're going to drive by way of stewardship. Well, those things are true. You can find them throughout Scripture. The problem is they're not true of this text. Mm. So what it is, and this is pastors, and again, I preaching to myself, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to export truth from one part of the Bible and import it into this part of the Bible. Mm. And that's that's never right. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand why we have a tendency as pastors and teachers to do that, because what it says over there makes sense, and it is, because it's true. And I'm looking at a passage, and it doesn't really make sense unless I put that into it. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, it makes sense. Right. So instead of doing the hard work, the muscle work, getting down and dirty with the text to try to figure out what's going on, it's easy to take what I know over here mm-hmm. and bring it into this text and then preach it. Mm. Right. And I've preached that sermon a million mm-hmm. times over there. Mm-hmm. So now it's easy for me because I already know what to say. Mm-hmm. So that's why, that's why pastors and preachers do that. And they also parrot other pastors. That's why... This text, I think, is parroted wrongly because that's what a lot of guys do. And as I said in the sermon, most commentaries take the position that it's a, it's a text on sacrificial giving, and a lot of guys just read commentaries and they just go with what the commentary says rather than checking it with good exegesis and hermeneutics. They'll just repeat it, and that's how, 
That's how false teaching or wrong teaching gets just repeated for literally for decades, if not centuries, because a commentary or a pastor preached it, and then so-and-so, instead of doing the work himself, he just follows the pastor, follows the commentary, and then the next guy behind him. And before you know it, you've got a false teaching, a wrong teaching, mm. an errant truth, an errant uh, a doctrine that's paraded as truth that goes on for decades, even centuries. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was interesting. I had a conversation with my one daughter, my oldest daughter, and she literally was asking me this week, the week that I was preparing the sermon. She's like, Dad, what are some things that, that, that Christians thought were true, and then over time they learned that that's not true, or things that they, they thought were in the Bible or, or, or interpretations? And I'm like, so interesting, you should ask. Mm. I said, the whole sermon this week is mm-hmm. basically out of a text that, sadly, in our modern context, most teachers get it wrong. And I would be one of them if I if I uh, uh, wasn't diligent and 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 disciplined and dependent on the Holy Spirit to do this right. Because mm. I can tell you every commentary, every commentary but two that I have, and I've got a ton. Mm-hmm. And it was like all of them went in that direction. So if all I did was parrot commentary, that's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a feel-good sermon. Well, it wouldn't have felt good, but mm-hmm. you know, it would have been easy, and it would have preached, right? Mm-hmm. You need to give. You need to give. And it's like, no, that's not really the point of the passage. And so, But when you see the point of the passage in its context, it's like your eyes are just wide open. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, that's exactly what he's doing. Because everything you just described about the... Um, manipulated ministry context from which you come out of is exactly what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. And, and I, there's so many ways to describe this, but I think the best illustration was Judaism of that day was not obviously uh, of the Torah. It was not of the law of God. It was, it was a false religious system that was wicked to the core. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm not saying this. Jesus did. Right. The mecca of their system was the temple. The the that was the center of their religious authority, and he called it a den of thieves, mm. a den of robbers. Mm-hmm. Literally, in in the Greek, it literally stands for a a cave of of bandits of bandits, mm-hmm. right? Where they go and hide out, right? Right, and that's what they would do. They would hide into the temple, and they would draw all the people in. And and here's and I mean no disrespect, this is just, I think, very illustrative to what's going on. Much like Roman Catholicism is, on so many levels, and and was during the days of the Reformation, when Titzel would go around uh, preaching his, his um, uh, what's the word? It's slipping my mind. Um, indulgences, mm-hmm. right? Where you would have to pay for the indulgences and you could release people from prison and you could release yourself. You could pay ahead and Mm -hmm. get yourself out of purgatory or get yourself out sooner. And just, just total manipulation for money. Right. Mm -hmm. So much of that methodology is what the, is what is going on in Judaism of that day. Mm -hmm. Now you can see it in the widow. She's giving up everything Mm -hmm. because she's been manipulated to do that. That's what she's doing. That's what the system did for that day. And, it's so sad to see it so clearly in the text, and that's why Jesus is so um, ferocious in his tenacity towards 
their denial and rejection of God's word. He will, I mean, he calls them in right here in this context. Mm-hmm. He calls them every name in the book, blind guides, vipers, snakes. I mean, he calls them wicked men, right? Whitewashed tombs. I mean, he just lays it out. Yeah. Why? Because this is what he's doing. And again, two verses before, two verses before, three verses before this episode, he literally says these guys are so evil, so wicked, that they rob widows of all they have to live on, i.e., they rob widows' houses. They destroy, they devour. Mm-hmm. The word devour is interesting in the Greek. It literally means they, it's, they swallow them up whole. And what's fascinating about this is in context, the... They weren't to be paid. So not like like a pastor who's a quote-unquote professional minister or whatever. You know, he gets paid, which obviously the Bible and New Testament talks about that, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and so that's not unbiblical. However, in the Jewish context, in the Old Testament law, priests weren't paid. Levites weren't paid, right? They were paid according to the offerings that were given, and they were allowed to have a portion. So even in some of the offerings, like the burnt offerings and things, they got to keep some of that for themselves to mm-hmm. eat. And, and so that's how, they, that's how they survived. And the whole point was the Lord would take care of them. Mm-hmm. They were His, right? So, so, but what would happen is these guys were obviously elevated as the most righteous men right. in the community. Mm-hmm. So when widows would lose a, you know, be placed in a destitute place, or they would be, uh, a husband would leave and they'd have the farm, they'd have the land, they'd have the will, so to speak. They would go to the scribes or the, or the priests and say, what, you know, I need help with this. What do I do with this? Wow. Uh, you can give it to the Mm -hmm. church. You can, so that's how they would, that's how they would, uh, kipe, how, how they would, uh, call top of the, of the offering for themselves mm. through these backhanded deals. And it's so sad when you start to study this and read and see how they manipulated and how they could do this, even in that context of not getting paid. It starts to show you how, how sad and wicked. And again, Christ was clear. These people, these, people these, these leaders and the whole system of religion in Judaism of that day was so far from what Scripture had taught that it was, it was utterly uh, damnable. And that's what he says. And so, yeah. So even, and this just popped in my head when you were saying that, even the, uh, the, the, the title or the position of a scribe, yeah. a Pharisee, yeah. wasn't that kind of coming out of the Talmud or was that kind of just a, a thing that just kind of came up? So to show you how far it had gotten from what God designed in the Torah and the law and the Pentateuch, um, you don't find scribe, you don't find Pharisee, because it's not in the Bible, right. right? In the sense of Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You don't find that to the New Testament. So in the intertestamental period, right, in the in those 400 years from when Israel was released from Babylon, mm-hmm. Judah, and they went back into Jerusalem, and that's, you know, Nehemiah and Ezra, mm-hmm. and you have all that, and, and then obviously it all, it all goes to pot again, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where the Old Testament ends. And so... In between where the Old Testament ends and the New Testament begins, you have a lot of history that mm-hmm. happens there with the Maccabees and all of that and the Jewish revolts. And, and it's, so it's through that time, time frame that you have what we now see in the New Testament as modern Judaism with all of its 
um, addendums that that the Mishnah and the Talmud kind of identify later on as that is completed. Mm-hmm. But that was all developed during those inter- intertestamental uh, eras, and that's where the scribes and the Pharisees and all of that find their lineage. They don't, they're not of Levi. They're not, they're not of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So this, what this is, and some of it I am confident as I've read and, and give the benefit of the doubt where I can, I am confident that a lot of these guys originally had a good motive. So when they came out of Babylon, and this is starting to develop, one of the things they thought, and I believe it was a genuine idea, but it went in a bad direction because you didn't need it, just follow God's Word. They thought, okay, the law of God, we disobeyed the law of God, and that's how we ended up in Babylon. What if we make another, so you have the law of God, what if we put another law around the law? So if we develop another law, like like go even further, mm-hmm. make it even harder, mm-hmm. and build another fence around the fence, mm-hmm. then that'll doubly protect us from ever breaking the fence. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they were wrong from the word go because the issue isn't isn't automatically about breaking the law. It's the law in the heart, right? Mm-hmm. It's a heart issue, and it's always been that. And so they were totally off the map from the beginning. But I do believe there was some sincerity where they were just like, we, we don't want to do that again. We, we don't want right. to disobey God, so let's come up with this. We do that all the time. We try mm-hmm. to come up with our man-made rules. So then it just gets out of hand, and it just keeps growing, and, and that's where all the craziness that we understand about carrying a stick and how far you can go and things you won't find in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You find, obviously, in the Mishnah, and, and all of that was developed during that time, including scribes, Pharisees, and all of that. Obviously, we have priests and the high priests. You can see that in the Old Testament. But all these addendums were all added. And again, it's man-made. It's, ma- it's man-centered. It, it's then manipulated, and that's where we end up in the Gospels, and you have this manipulated ministry of misery. And that's why Christ comes in and clears out the temple, calls them out, and constantly confronts them for their lies, their duplicity, their hypocrisy. And as he says in Mark chapter 7, you have replaced the Word of God for the traditions of man. Mm. Washing your hands and all mm-hmm. this nonsense that they would, they would see as a mark of holiness if you kept their law. You know, it's just like nonsense. And so, uh, yeah, when we see the widow um, here, she's not a... She's not an example to follow. She's someone to mourn over. Mm. She's someone who exemplifies the manipulation of that day yeah. and how it took advantage of the weakest, mm-hmm. right? And, and there's many reasons for that, but one in particular is where in the Bible do we ever see God commanding anyone to give all that they have to live on? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only, the only thing you could go to, as I've studied this out, would be the rich young ruler, which is obviously in in the gospel stories, but that context does not correlate at all to the widow's might. The rich young ruler is a is a gospel context where the gospel is being presented as he comes up and basically says, "Hey, I'm as good as it gets. I've kept all the law. Mm-hmm. What what else do I have to do to get to heaven?" Mm-hmm. Right? You know, we've all heard this the passage, and Jesus says, "You know, obey obey the law. You know, obey the Ten Commandments. Oh, I've done it all from birth." right? I'm good. I'm good. What else do I have to do? And Jesus is like, yeah, you, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you what you have to do because he knows his heart. Yeah. Go sell all your, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Key phrase, come and follow me. 
then we'll we'll start talking about it. Right. And he says he goes away sad. Well, Jesus is, I've often said, did Jesus just add to the gospel philanthropy? Mm. Because if you don't get that right, that's what he just did. Mm-hmm. Obey me and give. Well, no, he's going after the heart. He knows where the issue is. He's showing this guy, no, you, you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart. You love your money, which he proved it because he went away sad. He wouldn't give it up. So you can't compare what Jesus says there in a gospel invitation. There's no gospel invitation in this text. Mm-hmm. She's not even said to be following Christ, because in that text, sell all that you have and, and follow me. Well, that's what the apostles did, right? They left everything, and they're following Jesus. Well, mm-hmm. we don't know she's following Jesus. We don't even know if she even knew who Jesus was. Right. We don't even know she is even looking for the Messiah mm-hmm. like a righteous Jew would have. But So there's so many things left out. But what's put in is the context, and the context is clear. This is a context of judgment, mm. and, uh, and that's what he's reiterating. And that's why he says, he says, before this, these guys are vipers. Stay away from them. They consume, they devour widows' houses, meaning they take all they have to live on. They've got nothing. They leave them not only without husbands, but without homes. Mm. And then in the next in the next passage, literally, we see the widow mm-hmm. who's devoured of everything. And then the next passage is when they're walking out of the temple, right? Mm-hmm. And I, we haven't even got here yet. But when we get here, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, I'll explain to you how ornate the temple was. Filled, filled in the stones with jewels of diamonds, rubies. I mean, blow your mind. The, the, the seams of all the stones, the mortar literally covered in gold. So much so when it burnt, Titus sent Romans back in to try to extricate the gold that had melted down from all the stones. Mm. Yeah, this thing was just, this thing was the prosperity palace. Mm. That's what it, that's what it was. Just, just covered in gold. So much so that when the sun would hit it in the evening as the sun was going down, it glistened. And I think that's what's happening in Mark 13 when they're coming out because it would have been sunrise because they've been there all day and they're looking back and they're seeing this beautiful reflection of this shimmering building and they're like, look at these beautiful buildings. Right, right. And again, where did all that come from? Mm-hmm. From Kuypen off the top, from the manipulation and obviously Herod. I mean, we didn't even get into Herod's temple. Because he built that oh, temple. Oh, this right? is all Herod's. Oh, okay. This is all This is all a an idolatrous uh um, remember, remember Nebuchadnezzar built the uh, golden statue to himself. Yeah, this is Herod's golden statue, mm. right? So again, you can see this is this this whole thing is a disaster. Mm. And so these guys are like, look at these great stones. Don't and pre- don't preach it yet. <laughs> some of these stones were a million pounds. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. That's the crazy. Size. Sixty foot long, mm. twelve foot deep, fourteen foot. High. I mean, it's ridiculous mm. the size. I don't even know how they moved them. Yeah. And so mathematicians have done the the equations and said, yeah, yeah. Oh, some of these stones would weigh over a million pounds. Mm. It's like unbelievable. So that's what the disciples are looking at. But it's all a display of their hypocrisy. I heard one writer say there was so much money wrapped up in the temple, the gold, the jewels, and the giving, that there should not have been one poor person in all of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities. And yet they were everywhere. And then you have this widow. Exactly. Coming and giving everything that she had. Exactly. 
They don't need any more gold. They don't need any more rubies. They don't. Need, and that's, they should have been giving it to her. Exactly. Letting her keep it. And exactly. That's what Jesus man. is saying. And yeah. so that's why when they're like, "Hey, look at these buildings," and Jesus is like, "Yeah, I'll tell you about these buildings. Mm. Not one stone left upon another." Man. So it it doesn't it doesn't fit sacrificial giving mm. temple den of thieves manipulated ministry. Mm. Think about it. If she's the example, then she's given her money to a system that Jesus says he's destroying. Yeah. That's like the worst form of stewardship ever, right. ever. Mm-hmm. Like it's like giving your money to the mob. Mm-hmm. God's not going to bless that. Mm-hmm. She's given her money to a system. He had already rejected it. This is not biblical Judaism, quote unquote. This isn't Torah Judaism. This isn't the this isn't the the Old Testament Judaism, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't that. This is man-centered Judaism, wicked, foolish nonsense. So it's like, how can this woman be someone to follow? She's giving her money to a to a to a false system, mm-hmm. to false teachers. God doesn't bless that. Mm. So you can start to see it just doesn't make sense contextually. So sorry. Man. No, that's but that's see, that's, good. I didn't say any of that in the sermon. So. Yeah, well, that's good because uh, I, I, you didn't have time. You yeah. had other other points that you <laughs> needed to hit in that. One thing that you did say, I just wanted to get a definition. Uh, you mentioned the word Corbin. Oh, yeah. What yeah. is Corbin? So Corbin is in Mark 7. So if you go back read and read, later and read Mark 7, um, that's where, and again, it's interesting, that was... Again, another one of these man-made ideas. You won't find it in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I think I, I remember yeah. what Corbin so is. Corbin is. Corbin was this man-made idea based upon these false teachers who said the and Jesus talks about this in Mark seven. So, uh, fifth commandment, mm-hmm. right? Um, obey your father and mother, mm-hmm. right? Honor your father and mother. So. They came up with this idea that said, hey, if you, if you give your money to the temple and say Corbin, then you don't have to take care, you don't have to use that money to take care of your parents. So if your parents are destitute and need money, but you have already promised to give your money to the temple, you give it to the temple and don't worry about your parents and call that Corbin. Corbin literally means the thing devoted to God. So that has been devoted to God, therefore I can't give it to my parents. That's wrong, because I've already promised to give it to God. And so what Jesus says, wait a minute, you're telling these people to disobey the fifth commandment, to honor, respect, care for your father and mother, because they need to care for God. God doesn't need your money. You can see, but you can see that's the manipulation. That's Mm -hmm. the prosperity gospel. That's that's why what we see with happening with the widow. They've already been doing it. They've been Mm -hmm. doing it with Corbin. So that's Mm -hmm. I pointed that out in the sermon. Right. So yeah. So what I'm pointing out with this widow is not foreign to the text. It's what we've seen in the flow of the text. These guys have been kiping and stealing and manipulating Mm -hmm. from the beginning. That's why Jesus calls them out and calls them snakes and wolves and dogs and pigs and every other name under the sun. And Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous because that's what they've been doing. So that's what Corbin was. And that's why he says in in Mark 7, you have a fine way of replacing um, the word of God with the traditions of man. And that's when he goes on and he quotes Isaiah and said, 
well did Isaiah say, say, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Mm. Does that wow. make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. It, it opens sense. it up, doesn't yeah, it? That, doesn't that it that just like it, go, yeah. oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, because you mentioned it, and then as you started up, I was like, wait, I remember. I remember exactly what it was. Yeah. I knew it was something about you know, your uh, giving money to the church yeah. versus your parents. Yeah. And so I talked about you disobey one commandment, in order to quote unquote keep another, mm-hmm. and it's like no, no, no. The God never allows that, yeah. right? Now, obviously, if you if like take the commandment of submitting to government in Romans uh, thirteen, okay, we do that, and we do that as best we can. But if the government is asking us to sin, well, obviously, mm-hmm. we're not going to do that, right? And so that's not even breaking Romans thirteen. That's following God above. All. And so we're not breaking Romans 13 when we disobey government. We're following God always. Yeah. We're following God when we obey government. We're not following government. We're following God who tells us to do that. Yeah. But if the government tells us to go against God, we're not disobeying God. We're always following God, which says, no, you follow me no matter what. Yeah. And so, so, but this idea where it's like, no, you can break one commandment to keep another. No, you mm-hmm. can't. Where's that? Yeah. I thought you were going to say, uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, you know, murder. Yeah. And then you actually, you know, have to kill someone to protect your family or. Yeah. That's, and, but again, in the scripture is clear. That's self-defense. Right, right. Right. There's whole laws about that. Whole mm-hmm. cities. Right. Right. That God designed for that. So that's technically not murder. Okay. Right. In yeah. the in the context of mm-hmm. what the commandment says. Yeah. Wow. Well. This is this is another question that came out of, uh, and I don't know if I'm poking the bear or uh, I just it just kind of you know one of the questions. Well, you're came. the bear, man, so don't <laughs> poke yourself. Well, this is what. Uh, okay, so this is in the point and what you were saying, uh, going back to um, the uh, the den of thieves conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the second point, the picture of exploitation. Yep. Um, she gave more than she gave. They she she gave what she had. They uh, out of the out of her um, out of everything she had. They contributed out of their abundance. Yep. One of the questions that I had was, and I put question: poor and oppressed to be cared for versus BLM. So. Their cry yeah. is yeah. caring for the poor. Exactly. Black Lives Matter is all about caring for the poor, making sure that the oppressed are taken care of. Yeah. What's the difference between us being the, you know, following scripture, you know, and caring for the poor, caring yeah. for the widow versus what they're screaming? So a couple things. First, I'll say it this way and then I'll clarify. Um, by way of verbiage, the way you just described it, mm-hmm. caring for the poor, looking after the oppressed, defending them, all of that. <clears throat> Excuse me, based upon what you just said, what's different there? Well, I think there's a motivation, mm-hmm. right? Right. First and foremost, our motivation is not them. Our motivation is God mm-hmm. and his glory. We care for people because God has cared for us and commanded us to do it. So... So one would be our motivation is is diametrically different, mm-hmm. right? And um, so number one, but by way of verbiage, there is no different. We do care for the oppressed, and we do defend those who are dealing with injustice. Mm-hmm. 
Matter of fact, we don't just do it. We're commanded to do it. Mm-hmm. It's a vital command. Matter of fact, Bible says true religion, true religion, James chapter one, is mm-hmm. to care for orphans and widows. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if the care for the downtrodden and the compassion for those who are oppressed is not part and parcel of your life and ministry, you may not be a believer. Mm. That's how vital that is to the call of Christianity, right? And mm-hmm. obviously Christ demonstrated that more than any other. So if we're just talking apples to apples, words for words, obviously motivation's different, mm-hmm. reason's different, but by way of verbiage, no. The problem, though, so let me clarify. The problem is, though, they have a different definition of oppression. Hmm. They have a different definition of injustice. Hmm. They have a different definition of care. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every word you used and every word they use has a different definition than literally just about anybody uses. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we're in polar opposite universes mm. from BLM and critical race theory and anybody who's going to cry for oppressed and oppressor and all of that. We're, we're not even in the same hemisphere because we, we're, we're not even using the same language. Mm. And that needs to be said right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm using language that is traditionally defined and has been defined for decades and centuries and hasn't changed Oppressed means this. Injustice means this. Racism means this. Everybody knows what that means. BLM, critical race theory comes in, uses the same language, but they have totally different definitions. Mm-hmm. So so to your point, we're in totally different hemispheres, totally different universes, in a totally different place. Mm-hmm. We're not even talking about the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's what makes it so confusing when people talk about this because they assume we're talking about the same thing, and we're not. We're talking about two different things. They're talking about that which is political and, shall I say, racial, and we're talking about that which is personal, practical, and biblical. Mm-hmm. Totally different things. Mm-hmm. There's no politics in it at all. Right. For them, it's in some ways all politics. Mm-hmm. So, um, But yeah, no, the problem is what you use the word cry, their cry is all about themselves. Mm all about victimhood. Mm-hmm. They're just seeking to utilize the oppressed nature of someone else to their own advantage mm-hmm. and try to get something back for themselves that they feel they lost or whatever. And, uh, and so it is, it is the, <laughs> the oppression of the oppressed in reversed order, mm-hmm. just like BLM is reverse racism on every level. And I think that's been proven now and everybody knows that. Though in the beginning when I was crying out, that I got a lot of flack for it, but now it's been proven. That's all it is. It's just mm-hmm. reverse racism. It's nonsense. It's wicked. It's foolish. It's from the pit of hell, which is what I said from the beginning. And now it's proven. Yeah. They've manipulated. They've lied. They've stolen. It's it's a joke. And one thing that has been proven, one thing that I said, and everybody, not everybody, but <laughs> some people did get their personal panties all tied up in drawers over it, but now they see, is they don't care about black lives. (laughs) If there was ever a lie that was promoted Mm -hmm. and, and embraced by our culture, that was the greatest carpetbaggers trick ever. Black lives matter. They have to go down in history as one of the most scandalous shyster deals ever made because they took that slogan. It was the slogan, black lives matter. And they made so much money, and they stole so much authority, and they took so much off of that. And in reality, they 
they they don't care about black lives mm-hmm. at all at all now obviously there's people in the organization at at low levels or whatever that do i get that there's there's individuals here or there but for the most part the system the organization they do not they never did care about black lives mm-hmm. it was never about black lives it was always about one thing their life mm-hmm. selfish self-centered foolish arrogant nonsense that's been proven that's been proven because again as i've as i've said because my mentor one of my mentors said it all the time and he's spot on time and truth mm-hmm. and i like to say time tells the truth mm-hmm. over time and now we see black lives matter is the biggest joke on the planet mm-hmm. it's 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 just a den of lies mm-hmm. that's all it was from the beginning and that's all it is now and we're going into another political cycle and god help us if we have to hear all about Black Lives Matter again, because that's all it is. It's a political manipulation machine. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. And so they know nothing about caring for the oppressed or the oppressor, and, but the Bible does. And if they cared about black lives, you'd be hearing about it all the time mm-hmm. instead of cherry-picking whatever fits their paradigm of manipulation and money. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. That's all it all it ever was about. That's all it is now. So two things. Uh, one, uh, they you did poke the bear. I, I did, yeah. And part of it, I definitely uh, saw uh, what you saw in the beginning, and I lost. Well, I can't call them friends. I lost associates over it, uh, which you know doesn't really bother me that much. But the thing about it is, is that. There were certain black lives that they definitely did not care about. Mm-hmm. Conservative black lives. Oh, totally. And also black lives in the womb. Absolutely. And uh, so that was that was the first thing. The second thing is I am uh, <laughs> I am very well, not surprised, but I'm just kind of taken aback at how 10 minutes ago you were talking about the scribes and, you know, their system exactly. and how parallel this system is now i'm i'm sitting there thinking i'm like he's literally repeating some of the same phrases totally that that he was saying because of the fact that like it lines up so well it literally is a den of thieves a den of robbers that people are taking manipulation and manipulating people for self self and money that's it and i'm like oh my goodness and one of the greatest avenues to do that is religion Mm. it's one of the greatest because it pulls on heartstrings, right? Mm-hmm. It pulls on the on the nature of man who recognizes, who knows, and everyone, including the the self uh, proclaiming atheist, knows they're not right with God. Mm. So there's there is a natural uh, conscience, right, that we're all born with that that is um, convicted. Now that conscience obviously is seared and and uh, at times silenced by the wicked, but but but. God's word is clear. Man knows that God exists, but he suppresses it. Mm. So what makes, quote-unquote, religion such a a fertile ground for financial manipulation is it plays on those things. If I just give a little bit, I'll be right with God. Mm. And if I can just give a little bit, then I'm, I'm, I'm stacking up my debt because mm-hmm. people know. And that's why they will give because in their heart there's a, there's a genuine desperation there. But they're in the heart, there's also a genuine wickedness that says, I can work my way. I can get it. See, I can do it. I can buy it. I can earn it, whatever, And rather than a, 
a true gospel call that says I'm hopeless and helpless, mm. and the only hope I have is to is to look to the one who has earned it, who has bought it, mm-hmm. who has lived it, and all I can do is cast myself upon his feet for mercy and trust. Mm. And that's the gospel. That's why biblical Christianity is polar opposites of every other system on the planet that has ever been and ever will be. Mm-hmm. If the Lord tarries for another thousand or a million years, there will be constant new religions, new man-made systems, new systems of spirituality, whatever they may be, because Black Lives Matter is that as well, mm-hmm. right? There'll be all these, but they will never be what biblical Christianity is, because it's the only one ever, ever, that says, you're so wicked, you couldn't earn it. If, if you had all the money in the world and gave it all, it still wouldn't be enough. Mm-hmm. Because you do it from a motive of selfish mm-hmm. vainglory, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's the only system that says no. The only thing you can do is bow down before the one who has mm-hmm. come. And yeah. so it's it's amazing. Yeah. So uh, I want to pivot just a little bit. Well, it's not really a pivot. It's literally, yeah, it's a small, you know, 25-degree pivot. <laughs> because one of the things that you mentioned, um, you talked about it, but I want to get like a clear uh, understanding yeah. on uh, the idea and the uh, concept of New Testament tithing. Oh yeah, or yep. Old Testament tithing, however you would want to put it. Yeah, and the reason b- behind that is because I mean, you know, uh, what is it like? Yeah. What What are we supposed to do there? I'm glad you asked. Um, so you you're not going to find tithing in the New Testament apart from Christ confronting the Pharisees as he does in the sermon, uh, in the, in the, um, Matthew, uh, 23, woe to the scribes and Pharisees when he says, uh, well, do you do in tithing your mint and your cumin and your spices? Mm-hmm. You would tithe that, right? And so they would go to that, but then they, they, forget the weightier matters of the law. So they fool around with these light matters of the law of giving their tithes and their spices, but the weightier matters of the law, caring for the oppressed, mm-hmm. caring for the widows, care, he's like, you forget those, right? Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And so um, so you, you're going to find tithing mentioned in things like that, but that's still Old Testament context, even in the Gospels there, as Christ has come. So the tithe, in a technical term, is a really a 10% tax is what it was. There were actually three tithes that they were, the Israel, so this is for Israel, was commanded to give. And you can read about this in Leviticus. And they would have to tithe on um, certain um, aspects of their fruit, their produce, mm-hmm. their meat, their cattle, their sheep, things like that, and then even their... their um, offerings. And so those ties turned out to be uh, not quite 30%. Literally, it was like tw- 23 and a third percent when you laid out the tithe. So that was essentially uh, the welfare system of the day. That's how God designed. So it was a tax, just like we have taxes. We're getting ready to pay ours here in, in Bowie, right? We're getting ready to pay our taxes. It's come, They're coming due. We all know they're coming. End of September is saying, oh, oh man, here we go, mm-hmm. right? And so we get that. And so that was the tax. So taxes 
And God had him right there. That's what that was. Right. A tithe was really more of a tax than it was an offering. Mm. That's why when you study this out in the Old Testament, you had tithes and offerings. Mm-hmm. Tithes was your tax. Mm-hmm. And we can even see that with the temple tax, that Christ even paid the temple tax, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And so, so you had these taxes known as tithes, but then you also had offerings, votive offerings, free will offerings when you gave, and other offerings that you would give. When you get to the New Testament, you don't see the, you know, Acts and the Epistles talking about tithes, but they talk about giving, right? And there's some reasons for that. We're no longer under law. Mm-hmm. We're not Israel, mm-hmm. right? And so that taxation tithe system does not apply to us, right? We don't have that. We have, we're under a whole nother uh, dispensation, if you will. We're under the, the, the reality of, of grace. They were once under law. Mm-hmm. And now we're under grace on so many levels. That's why it's new and Old Testament. And obviously God's grace was throughout the old, but uh, the reality of the new covenant, that's what we're under versus the old covenant. And so in the new covenant, giving is not based upon a, a, a taxation system because we're not national. We don't need it, mm-hmm. right? We're individuals. We come into the kingdom of God now as individuals, not as a nation. Mm-hmm. Or for Old Testament, it's Israel. It's a nation. They had a national system of care and, and production and all of that by which they needed that tithe. They needed that tax to survive right. the whole system. So um, when we get to the New Testament, it's a totally different understanding. Um, giving is based upon the gospel, Right, not based upon my national needs and all of that. And so Second Corinthians eight and nine is one of the foundational passages to learn about giving. And you see very clearly there that giving is based upon what God has given to us. We are motivated and driven to give based upon the gospel. And that whole passage is about the gift that God has given to us in Christ. And that is what motivates us to give. That is what encourages us to give. And then, and then we give based upon how God has, has blessed us, how God has, uh, um, uh, for lack of a better word, advanced us. And so we give based upon what we can give, not based upon what we can't give. Mm-hmm. But I love it in Second Corinthians 8, he says, but if there's a desire to give more, but you're unable to, even that desire is a blessing to the Lord and counted to him mm-hmm. as an offering, which mm-hmm. we understand that in the New Testament, right. right? It's based upon the heart and all of that. So when you start comparing the Old Testament tithe to New Testament, we're actually talking about apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. That was a tax, just mm-hmm. like we have to pay our property taxes. We mm-hmm. have to, because mm-hmm. we need to. Mm-hmm. The police officer's got to be paid. The trash guy's got to be paid. Mm-hmm. These things that we rely on, which are good, they need to happen. And we're commanded to submit to government, and paying our taxes is part of that. So in that sense, the tithe is talked about in the New Testament, but it's under the term tax, because right. that's what it is. And God mm-hmm. says, pay your taxes, mm-hmm. right? So we do that. So those are tithes, if you want to use the term. But what we're talking about doing in the church is not a tithe, right? It's, it's an offering. It's an offering of of worship to the Lord. And that's, a, again, based upon what the gospel has done in my life through Christ. And so in that sense, now what I like to say is there's nothing wrong with a, with a tithe mentality mm-hmm. where it's like I'm, I'm, I'm going to give 10% of my, you know, my net income or whatever. And it's like, great, praise the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. You can calculate that really easily. Very easily. And it's, and it's good. But I like to think of it as training wheels. It's a good place to start. 
I mean, most of us started learning how to ride a bike on training wheels. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. Right. One day we took them off. Yeah. Right? And so when you really are motivated by the gospel, do you ever give enough? Mm. Do you ever give too much? Yeah. No. No, you can't. Mm-hmm. So the Lord just, and it's not out of guilt. That's the blessing, because mm-hmm. 2 Corinthians 8 says God loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. We're not given to earn. Yeah. We're not given to get. We're given because we've already been given everything. Mm-hmm. And if you know that, then you freely will give whatever you want to give, how much you want to give, and it will bless and honor the Lord. Mm. And you'll never stop giving. You can't stop giving because the gospel never stops giving. Mm-hmm. That's why Paul is so clear about the reality of grace giving. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. We give according to the grace given to us. God never stops giving grace. You can't compare your giving with the grace given to us, so you just keep giving out of that, and it is a blessing. It is a blessing. So, yeah, 10%, 20%, 30%, whatever. And it's just like you just keep rolling, mm-hmm. and I love it. Yeah. But, you know, even in our church, one of the ways we we do that as a church, and I am elated about this and excited, is the way we give. So the money comes into the, quote-unquote, organization of the church, Mm-hmm. And then we give it out, right, to all our missionaries and mm-hmm. ministry. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it all goes into ministry on so many levels. So in that mm-hmm. sense, it all goes back to the Lord. Mm-hmm. But in, in a very objective, real way is you could say, well, I mean, you know, we're given to our church building, which makes it better, and we improve our AV, and we improve our carpet or whatever, and so there's a fringe benefit from that. But then there's our missionaries mm-hmm. who you don't see and who you, you know, aren't interacting with and... And in, in, in the tangible sense, they're not here, but we know what they're part of us in the sense of our partners. But we give, I think we're pushing 25% mm-hmm. of our budget goes, literally, it goes in and goes right out, mm-hmm. right? I love that. And I've been pushing that up every mm-hmm. year and I just keep driving. I don't want it to stop. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's get to where we're 30%. Let's go 35. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. So in that sense, we're even exemplifying grace giving. And and it's all based upon the Lord. If the Lord keeps increasing our budget, which he does every year, it's unbelievable. Wait a couple of weeks when we have our meeting and you see the giving for the... I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, good. But now we get to give even more to missionaries. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the way it should be. Yeah. It's like the analogy I love to use is we are not a reservoir. Mm-hmm. We are a river. We're not mm-hmm. a bank. Yeah. I hate it when churches become banks. Mm-hmm. Oh, God did not give us our money to sit on it. He gave us our money to spread it through mm-hmm. the gospel, through ministry. And so, yeah, that's that's the difference between the two. Yeah, I remember a, a certain local pastor, uh, somebody asked him a question. They said, uh, you know, Pastor, am I supposed to tithe off of my net or my gross? <laughs> and the pastor's reply was, do you want to be netly blessed or grossly blessed? <laughs> Now that I look back on that that comment, I'm like, uh, so many, so many. That's a, that was a great opportunity for that pastor to just, just console his sheep and and, and, and care for his sheep and in go to such the gospel. a biblical way. Like that was such a perfect opportunity. Say, don't worry about what you're giving. Let's talk about what God has given. Yeah, and you know what that does? That ignites the heart to give. Yeah. That's God's design. It's not, and because really what happened was that pastor made it more about what that 
parishioner could give get back. Oh yeah. Versus what they were given. Yeah. Oh yeah, I want to be grossly blessed. So is that a cheerful giver? No, it's no. a gross giver. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. It's somebody who is giving for the purpose of getting back versus for the purpose of saying, you know what, God, I, I this is what I desire to give to you since you have given me. Yeah, that's you a know. selfish giver. Yeah. Ah. Okay. And we know what the Lord says about that. Yeah. What does he, he say? He despises the proud. Yeah. But gives, gives grace, grace to, the humble. to the humble. Yep. The person that's given based upon what God has given to him, mm-hmm. that's a humble giver. I don't want anything in return, Lord. Matter of fact, I can't give you enough. Mm. You own it all anyway. Yeah. It's all yours anyway. I mm. wouldn't even have the breath I just took were it not for you. Father, take this meager offering. Mm-hmm. It's all we have to give now. Take it, use it, and multiply it beyond anything we could ever imagine. It's coming from our heart of love for you. That's a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need our money. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the most stupid, foolish thoughts in the contemporary church that God needs our money. He don't need our money. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need mine. He Mm -hmm. owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Mm -hmm. That's just a biblical framework of saying he owns more money than you could even imagine Mm because he owns the entire universe. He don't need anything. He doesn't need diddly squat from Mm -hmm. us. It's It's the height of stupidity to think that somehow God needs my money. Mm -hmm. He need my money. No, but in giving God my time, my talents, my treasures, i.e. everything, in giving that to him, he is pleased with that. He is glorified with that. He is honored in that. And this is the part that blows me away. Even though he doesn't have to use it, he chooses to use what I give in helping others. Mm. Now that is a blessing. Sign me up. Mm -hmm. If you're going to use me, Lord, I want to be in your camp. I want to be on your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Father, use this. Take it. Here, use it. Mm-hmm. Use it around the globe. Use it here in the ministry. Use it everywhere. And only he can take 10 cents and turn it into $10,000, mm-hmm. right? We've seen that in the loaves and the fishes. It's like mm-hmm. size doesn't matter with the Lord. Yeah. Heart does. Yeah. I've been here for, what, four or five years, and that's the most I've ever heard you talk about money. I never do. Yeah. <laughs> you never talk about it. You want to know why? Why is that? Because I'd rather talk about the gospel, mm-hmm. which excites you to give money. Yeah, true. Yeah. And if I'm going to talk about money, I'm going to do exactly what I did in this conversation. I'm going to turn it and start talking about the gospel. <laughs> because that's what the Bible does. Yep. The, the, in the New Testament, and there's, there are many passages that reference money, so it's not that it's not talked about. It's actually a topic talked about a lot. But in the New Testament, the passage that talks about money, the most extended passage, is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And guess what it's all about? It's all based upon giving cheerfully because of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, so every time I'm going to talk about it, that's what it's going to be about. Yeah. 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 So, so I'm going to bring up this question that uh, at – Beverly has my wife. Um, this has to do with uh, a certain uh, <laughs> a certain thing that happened uh, this past Sunday, where there were there was a group of people that came to the church, and this group of people uh, were they just they they heard about us. I'm, I'm not going to go into great detail, but. They heard about us, and uh, they decided that they needed to come and pass out some literature to the people that go to this church. The reason why they did that is because they felt like we had a false gospel. Uh, we did not understand Scripture uh, properly. And uh, one of the uh, pieces, uh, portions of 
One one of the things that they gave us was a book that talked about, or a flyer, I can't remember which one, talked about that one of the people had spent four hours in hell or four minutes in hell or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And Beverly had asked you, um, did they try to set up a meeting with you? And uh, your response was, well, no, I'm not going to waste my time doing that. Mm-hmm. So... I think, well, her question, it, this, I'm trying to make it into a form of a question because, you know, she just kind of just spilled her spilled her thoughts out and I'm, I'm now forming the Play-Doh into a, a, a person. Yeah. Um, her question was, in situations like that, would people just have the, you know, we can honestly tell that from their literature they had a wrong theology, a wrong thinking about Scripture, or no thinking about Scripture at all. How do you distinguish the people that you would say, well, look, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to show you the gospel, show you the right way yep. versus people that it's like, eh, it's, it's, it's no need for me to even waste my time. Yeah. Good question. So, um, you distinguish that in multiple ways, but one in this situation, it was obvious they were not here to learn or, or, uh, listen. Mm-hmm. They were here to promote mm-hmm. and defend, mm-hmm. right? obviously uninvited in the sense of, I don't know them, we don't know them, but they're just coming in trying to infect with their false teaching, which I find um, rather interesting sovereignly, providentially, because I've been saying a lot about false teachers mm-hmm. lately, Yeah, even on Sunday. They heard you call them, that's what it was. Well, <laughs> no, <laughs> the Lord is, the Lord is in, interesting at times with this kind of stuff, but so they... You know, they didn't come to, they didn't sit in the service. They weren't there to listen to the, you know, it wasn't even that. They just showed up at just because they wanted to talk to me. Mm-hmm. They weren't even there to pass out literature, quote unquote, to the people. They wanted to see me. Mm-hmm. They wanted to go right to me and basically give me their stuff. And so, and I've seen that before. And so it was obvious to me in talking with them um, five minutes that they weren't interested in the truth. Mm-hmm. That wasn't their, um, that wasn't their issue. They're, they were interested in confronting me and us that we don't have the truth. Mm. And that's when I know I'm, this isn't a teachable person. This isn't a person who's honestly, you, you're looking for somebody who's in search of the truth versus somebody who, who is going to basically tell you, no, here's the truth, and it's lies. Mm-hmm. And when I've got that person, it's just like I'm getting away from them as fast as I can, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like because you're just going to waste your time. You're just going to keep spinning in circles with somebody. I've seen this. This comes up all the time when a Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, mm-hmm. right? You can sit there and talk to the older Jehovah's Witness, and you're just going to waste your time. Mm-hmm. They're set in their ways. But they always come with a younger one and an older one. Mm-hmm. I always go after the younger one because mm-hmm. the younger one is actually searching. That's part of the reason why they're there, mm-hmm. right? And they're caught in false teaching. So you go after them. I've done this multiple times and I turn away from the other one. I, and I literally will say, you can listen to this person, but they're going to lead you into lies. Mm-hmm. Or you could open up a real Bible and you can read it and search for the truth and the truth will set you for like, just go right after it. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, because if I talk with that individual the, the older one, you're just going to get down in the spiral of their apologetics mm-hmm. and their arguments, and it's just going to be a waste of time, waste of time. And obviously, I've done that many times. And so uh, best thing to do is warn a, 
what the Bible says, warn a divisive person once, warn them twice, have nothing to do with them, mm. right? And that's what the Bible commands us. The Bible commands us to be on guard against false teachers, stay away from false teachers, have nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a legitimate pulling them out of the flames, and that's kind of what you're going after that younger Jehovah's Witness or a friend or a neighbor or whatever. That's different. But when you're dealing with what I would call professional false teachers, stay away from them. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the Bible exhorts. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, uh, they are scary. And they will pull you into their cesspool. They will indoctrinate you and infect you in ways you don't even know. Uh, false teachers are what Paul says in Second uh, Corinthians 11. They are agents of the Antichrist. Mm. They are servants of Satan. And we want nothing to do with them, right? And so I'll gladly confront them. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and have a debate with them unless they're legitimately searching. That's a different story. There's a humility. There's a teachableness. But they've got these convictions. That's fine. We all got convictions. I can deal with that. We can talk about it. If you're gonna listen. But if you're gonna be like, no, 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 this is it. It's like, no, we're not gonna go down that road. We don't have time for that. Yeah. Um, and this system was so false. I read the books. I, I went home and perused them and and and. And pulled out all I needed to pull out, and it's interesting. This is this false system that they're involved in. My, your heart breaks for them. My mm-hmm. do, my my heart does. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been deceived, which is what false teachers do. It's built upon. It's very interesting. Um, it's built upon the visions of one man. So this is the cultish nature of this. It's built upon the visions of one man who met with Christ who went to hell and went to heaven three different times. And each time Christ spoke to him and told him this message. Think about it. He gave him these messages that the world must hear before he comes back. So this one guy, right? Did So he recorded these messages. This is all in Africa. He records these messages. Well, so-and-so, this other guy, who's kind of the head of this ministry now, he hears of these messages. Find it interesting that they were part of this church that heard about it too and said, that's not right. That's evil. Really? Oh, yeah, and said, you can't do that. We don't believe in Is that. Is this in the book? Yeah, it's all in the book. <sighs> yeah. And so and so, they, they basically got kicked out of the church. Good for that church. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah. So then this one guy goes against what the church, he was part of this church, and he goes against all that, because they said, burn the tapes, destroy the tapes, have nothing to do with it, and he kept them. He kept them secret. I mean, it sounds like something you make up. He kept them secret, and then he turned them into a book. So it's interesting. One of the messages, (laughs) you can't make this up, one of the messages that the first guy, who is, he's the it's kind of interesting. It's, it's very cultish. He's the conduit of the message, but he's not the messenger. The guy who kept the tapes, he's the voice. So the one guy brings the content. The other guy's the preacher, the pastor. And so he says in the book that God told him that he's not the head of the ministry. He's just the, he's just the messenger of the ministry. But this other guy who he names in the book, who is the head of the ministry, he's to be the head of the ministry. You're like... The guy who's writing the book, he's to be the head of the ministry. Oh, my goodness. It's just nonsense. It's utter deception, manipulation, nonsense. But that's the way false teaching goes. Here's the funny part about it. This has happened before. 
so many times because that's what false teaching is. It's all the same fingerprints. This is how Satan works. He's got he does the same tricks. He recycles them over and over again. It was sounds not, like Joseph Smith. It's, yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, it's not tapes. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, it's golden, golden. Yeah, what yes, names? Yeah, it's the mark of oh a cult. That's what I said. It's what cults do. Cult leaders, whether it's David Koresh, whether it's you know, uh, mm. yeah, Joseph Smith, and the list is long. But yeah, so I, I mean, I could see it in talking with them and what they said and uh, you know i just was i was obviously gracious and kind and you know i wasn't there to argue i just kind of ushered them out quickly and mm-hmm. and moved on and um but but when i went home and read the read you know parts of the book and saw it it just again i i don't think it's an accident that all this i mean i'm going to be doing a whole series on false teaching mm-hmm. on wednesday nights i'm teaching this fall and i'm going to do the whole fall is going to be on false teaching <laughs> the whole thing and i'd already set that i've already got it outlined what i'm going to be mm-hmm. teaching and and so, i mean i preached these multiple sermons it came up last week and last week so i mean it's just like it's coming up because it's in our text watch out many deceivers watch out be on guard they're they're coming and it's like uh, i'm telling you we don't we don't get the severity. We don't get the seriousness of what Jesus is saying and how prolific false teaching is. It's, it's the thing that the church has had to deal with from the beginning. The greatest issue has always been false teaching and false teachers. And for some reason, the area we live in is... It, I know all false teaching is everywhere on so many levels, but this area is just marked by it in a way like I've never seen. Mm. And what's so bad, you know, and when I was in Southern California, you had false teaching all over the place, but it was pluralistic false teaching. It was, it was, um, uh, let's say, uh, Middle Eastern, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, you know, that's easy to spot. That's, mm-hmm. that's false teaching for sure, mm-hmm. deceives many. But what's scary for me in our area is, and I'll talk about this in the fall, it's the Christianized false teaching. That's what makes Mormonism so such a perverted version of false teaching, mm-hmm. because it's Christianized. That's what makes Roman Catholicism such a deceiving false, because it's Christianized. Anytime you Christianize false teaching, it makes it even that much more deadly, because the unsuspecting, untrained person is easily deceived, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to do that. It's hard to, hard to deceive somebody who's in the church with Hinduism or Buddhism as if it's Christianity. They don't even claim that. They mm-hmm. don't even try that. But all the other prosperity, word of faith, Roman Catholicism, you know, New Age spirituality, Christian science, all of that puts on airs as if it's Christianity mm. or, if, or, or as if it's like Christianity. I mean, Mormon, Mormonism, they, that's their greatest uh, desire is to be seen as Christian. That's why they dress, look, act everything even their mm-hmm. buildings look like cuz they mm-hmm. want to be seen that's to me that's one of satan's greatest deceptions mm. and obviously roman catholicism be the cream of the crop so so that's that's what's so scary about our area obviously we have we have buddhism hinduism islam we've got that here for sure but there is a there is a prolific propagation of christianized false teaching in this area that just it it for some reason it just continues to surprise me because it's everywhere i run into it all the time and now you see it this isn't the first time we've had that we've had this multiple times where books and and false teaching has come in the door but now you see why the 
pastor's job, according to Scripture, is really twofold. Feed the sheep and fight off the wolves. Mm -hmm. That's literally what the elders are supposed to do. That's it. That's mm -hmm. why we can't give our time to waiting tables on widows. Mm -hmm. That's important. That's why we need deacons, because we have to spend our time feeding the sheep so that they're not easily deceived and watching out on who's coming in, mm -hmm. because the wolves are coming. And again, what did Jesus say about the Pharisees? They were wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm -hmm. They were trying to look religious. Mm -hmm. That's what scares me about the Christianized false teaching. It tries to hide in the cloak of sound doctrine, but it's false to the core. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah, that is that is great. I, I appreciate that. Here's the worst part about it. The worst part about what you were saying is that it's so good that you should do a Wednesday night on false teaching. There you I mean, go. I think that would be a good idea. Stop. Start the first Wednesday in October. And the and thing I, about I it. I think I'm starting with the prosperity gospel. Really? So that you know. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad at that. Uh we are we we yeah we are we're pretty deep into time that that's not even half of the questions that i had for you literally so what you're saying is we should probably start recording more regularly that might be a thing I, we always do the try weekly <laughs> we're gonna try to do it weekly <laughs> but if that had to come out all the way then we do it when we can i love that <laughs> we just, just try weekly podcast that's what that, it is that Touche. Yeah. So, hey, we, we, we tried last week. It didn't work out. <laughs> That's a good buddyism right there. We yeah. try weekly. We, so, try, we try weekly. Yeah. So, okay. Um, yeah, I have a bunch of different questions. It's really having to go into this new, uh, this new I, I would say, series that you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't say series in the topical way. I say it in the uh, the the exp expositorious way yeah. uh, because it is literally just going right with the text yep. and talking about uh, eschatology. Um, I'm going to leave this for next time um, because there were so many things that uh, I wanted to. And, and first off, I'm, I'm going to say this on behalf of the entire church. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm, I'm, I think I'm saying this on, on behalf of the entire church. Thank you for taking time to just go through definitions and, uh, you know, just like what we're going to expect. Because there were some, I was talking to one guy after service and he was like, yeah, he said the word eschatology like three or four times. And then he defined it, which I'm like, oh, now I understand what it is. So you, if you would have dove right into, you know, uh, Mark 13 and we would have been lost. And I appreciate the fact that like I, and I, my, my notes, if I show you my notes, look at the arrows that I have. It's what one point is going here. One is pointing <laughs> over there to the right, to the left. Cause I, cause that one, one the, the, the pictures, they help me understand like yep. what's being said, yep. but also it's like, okay. There was one point where you were like, well, here's a couple of things. And I was like, I, I wrote down eight. I have 10. I have 10 different. Uh, dangers. Uh, what was it? Uh, Seven dangers. Oh, under our perspective. Oh, why yeah. does it oh, matter? Yeah. I have yeah. 10 different things that yeah. I wrote down. Good. Now, some of them you might have, you know, say, well, this yeah. was, excuse me, together with this one. But I was like, eh, I'm just going to write it down. No, why not? Good. But I think that the biggest thing that I am. Uh, that I'm struggling with every single day and I'm asking God to show me more and more. And one thing that you said, and I'll put it 
in, in, in multiple squares. It's like our issue is that our view of God is too small. Yep. And that has kind of been my prayer. It's like, you know, Lord, show me ways in, 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 in my life and my everyday yep. that I see you as too small, that, yeah. that I am not looking at you as um, the, the God, the, over, the, 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 the omniscient, the om, omnipotent, you know, the mighty God that you are Amen. and look at myself as the, 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 the humble, the, well, not the humble is that's not really saying lowly, the lowly. That's, hey. that's what I, that's the word I was looking for. So, cause we, and, and what are the three areas? I said two, I think in the sermon, but looking back, I, I probably should have said three. What are the three areas in scripture? pointed to where you can see the majesty there's the word majesty the 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 sovereign cosmic immense nature of god where you see him in, in his immensity that means enormous he is a god unlike any other he's all powerful all knowing all of that he fills all space and time there you mm-hmm. go like where do you where where do you see that in scripture like no other. There's three direct places. One would be creation. I would say creation. Right? So that's the one I left out, and I don't think I said that in the mm-hmm. sermon. And when I went, when I was thinking about it later, it was like, yeah, creation, obviously, <laughs> only God can create something out of nothing, mm-hmm. and that something being our cosmos, right, right? Right, But then the other two that I brought up, in the in which I think are more poignant to the point, is the gospel, the cross. Mm-hmm. Like, who can take the greatest tragedy of all time mm. and turn it in to the greatest gift story and blessing of all time. Mm. You see his power, his might, you see his judgment and wrath, you see his love and grace. I mean, again, it's God on display on the cross yeah. and the resurrection. So can I, can I give you the third one Go that ahead. I think you're going to say? Go ahead. Cause uh, I'm, uh, I'm learning, I'm learning that there is a way to make it very simple. Yes. Okay. So creation. Yes. Christ yes. and the cross. Nope. No? Well, okay, depending on how, you, how you're thinking about it, it could be creation, the cross, and the return of Christ. Okay. So, I was thinking about uh, the God-man. The, the, yeah, the, no. Well, that's all, that's all, that's all in, sub, in the cross. Yeah, enveloped into the cross is, okay. the, is the deity and humanity of Christ. And creation, all. the so cross, you, and Christ's return. Yeah, yeah and you could say it. You could say it this way because this flows with the outline of scripture: mm-hmm. creation, cross, and then coronation. Coronation, okay, or All culmination, right? right. And you his do re- this for a living, don't you? Yeah, you know, it's a plague, <laughs> man. It's an infection. But no, it really is the legitimate eschatology. Eschatology rightfully exalts God in His rightful place that mm-hmm. He is. Because think about it: the worse the world gets, the more it's like, really, is He? Come? How's He going to write all this? How's yeah. He going to fix all this? And yeah. He does, mm-hmm. and He does it in a way like nobody can. Mm-hmm. And the the second coming of Christ, the coronation of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and all that's wrapped into eschatology, man, it puts God right where He should be. Mm-hmm. And the reason our view of God is is so small is because of our our eschatology is so minimal. Think about it. If you take those three areas, so think about it. We live in a world that denies creation mm. and a church that minimizes it, right? Mm-hmm. I.e., the, the, the overarching church of our day doesn't even believe in divine creation. It believes in evolution. Mm. So m- most, if not many Christians, would, would adhere to not fiat creation, i.e. God makes something, everything out of nothing, but they embrace more of a theistic evolution. Right, and so that that what does that do? That minimizes God. Mm-hmm. Now take the cross, right, 
and turn it into this man-centered Arminian view of man's free will and God can't do this and God must do that. What does that do? It minimizes God. Mm-hmm. Now take eschatology and be like, well, you know, it's not really a doctrine we can really know that much about. It's mm-hmm. not really applicable. So you can start to see where our small view of God comes from. Mm-hmm. And it's Idealism, like, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So mm-hmm. you start to see how vital all three of them are. That's why yeah. my next long extended sermon series will be probably out of the beginning of Genesis because mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, no, we need that. We need a right view of divine creation. Mm-hmm. We need a right view of the power of God, which is on display in creation. And so, yeah, that's coming. That's good. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up here. And right. the reason why we're going to wrap up here, because we are an hour and 20 minutes in. Ooh, that's like a sermon. Yeah. Yeah. We're an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> that's in. That's longer than a sermon, believe it or not. Uh, Depending on the day. <laughs> just just slightly longer. Just just slightly. Slight. Yeah. I, I know that you have at least 10 to 20 more minutes of sermon when you're done. 100%. Yeah. No, no doubt in my mind that that's what you have. So yep. that's the podcast. So. Uh, first off, want to uh, thank everyone for tuning in. The other thing is, I told you all that I had a surprise for you. Now, this is a surprise. So, what we have, uh, uh, what I have done is, um, how about this? Instead of me telling you, why don't you go and look at the show notes, and it'll be in there. Okay, that'll be the surprise. I'll finally get everybody to read the show notes. Because I'm going to put the surprise inside of the show notes. So let's see how many people actually read it and uh, respond to that. So I appreciate you all listening. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is extremely important on this podcast. So that's what you're going to hear now. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. Instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal, conscious punishment under God's wrath in hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin, and so be a just judge and yet forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, the co-equal and co-eternal son of God to take on human flesh, fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners, loving, obeying, and enjoying him perfectly. Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in a place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent, turn from their sin, and believe, trust in him. This is the glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted son and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person in every culture, in every place, in every language through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear hearer, behold, now is the accepted time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this day be reconciled to God. Thanks for tuning in today. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a comment. If you have a question, please send them to the Truth Talks Podcast at gmail.com. Visit our Instagram and Twitter at the Truth Talks Podcast and visit our website at bellcroftbiblechurch.org. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bellcroft Bible Church.